one more with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between just one more cupcake and just one more kettlebell swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And Daphne is not here this week because I am here with a special guest who I will introduce in just a second. Uh, before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan or, you know, anything else health related uh, as we might get into in the episode. Uh, also, uh, if you haven't yet, join us on Patreon. Uh, you can support the show and get first access to all sorts of things that we do. Go to justonemorepodcast.com and click become a patron at the top of the page. Uh, well, I said I would introduce our guest, and now I'm going to do that. Uh, please welcome Amy Marks. Hi, Hello. Amy. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Uh, so, Amy, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? <laughs> well, I do many different things. Who am I? I ask myself that all the time. But I'm an actress, a writer, an acting teacher. I do a lot of voiceovers, and I'm a coach. So Great. Yeah. Um, and you are on the show... Uh, Partly, it's related to acting, but it's because of what you are acting and creating about these days. Right. Um, can you tell us about your show? Yes. So I, well, I guess it's good to start with, I'm a breast cancer survivor, and I had a double mastectomy, and I wrote a show about it. There you go. And the show is called? Nice Tits. <laughs> I was the talking ta- yeah, Go ahead. The tag for it is Amy had a great rack, then she got cancer. <laughs> um, and I was talking to Amy beforehand that like we usually, you know, when I have guests on, I always say, you know, we try not to swear on the show. If it happens, I'll just bleep you out. But I thought it was really important. Um, the name of your show uh, obviously is not an accident, and I think it has so much to do with sort of... Um, your story and who right. you are within that story, so that's why I really wanted to um, to keep it in. No, no bleeping of tits on this episode. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I have been, I have been bleeped on normal radio, but it's funny because you know people go, "What's the name of your show?" And I go, "Nice tits." And they go, "Ooh," and I go, eh, "It's not what you think." <laughs> <laughs> But I do that because it really gets people's attention. Sure. And that's why I did that. Totally. And you, you've done the show many times. Many I remember times. we were, I think uh, that I first heard about your show at a solo com festival here in New York a couple of years ago, maybe. Um, but you are doing a special uh, reading of it soon if you're listening to this in real time. So can you tell us about the reading quick before we yes. get to your so story? Yes, so I'm doing a celebrity reading of my play, which Ooh. is really, really exciting because I've traveled and done my show for the past three years, and this is going to be the first time that I hear other people read my words. So the goal is we're looking to see if we can, I'm really inspired by the vagina monologues, Sure. and we're doing. We're seeing if it, it can turn into something like the vagina monologues. Cool. So I have these like incredible celebrities that are reading it. I have uh, Geneva Carr, who, I don't know if you know Geneva, she's amazing, she was nominated for Tony with Hand to, for Hand to God, and she's in Bull. I have a woman named Elena Ricardo, who was in Mamma Me on Broadway, and now is in Beautiful on Broadway. I have uh, Leanne Larkin, who was in Gypsy on Broadway, and in Blue Bloods. A woman named Laura Kai Chen, who was in the movie Her, and Days of Our Lives for many years. And um, me. <laughs> <laughs> the 
celebrity of your own story. And me. Um, if people are local to New York and they're listening to this in real time and they want to come, when is it and where can they find Well, I would love for them to come. That would be amazing. And it's really easy to go to my website, mm-hmm. nicetitstheshow.com. But you have to put in the show because otherwise if you just put in nice tits, you're going to get a lot of porn. <laughs> a Don't do that, listeners. I will also link to it in the show notes. Right. Um, and it is April 29th at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. It's at the Triad Theater, which is a wonderful space. And I am so excited to do this. And we're, I'm going to uh, donate a portion of the proceeds to uh, the Actors Fund, which is a really incredible organization that helps a lot of actors in need. So, yeah, I'm very excited. Awesome. Uh, well, let's get a little bit into your story. Like okay. you said, your your tagline is, Amy had a great rack, then she got cancer. Yes. Um, so when did you first start, before any of this any of this happened, show, cancer, any of it, um, when did you first start to suspect that something wasn't right? I didn't suspect anything. No. Everything was fine. So let me say first that I do have a family history of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So my mother died at 50 of breast cancer. I was 16, so that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But I never, ever, ever thought I was going to get breast cancer. I was a vegetarian. I worked out all the time. Incredibly healthy. I just, I was like, people like, aren't you worried? I'm like, no. Because no. that's never going to happen to me. So I went for my annual mammogram. And because when you uh, have a family uh, history, you start earlier. So I started at 40. And I went for an animal, annual mammogram. And because I have dense breasts, you always have to get a sonogram as well. It's really, I don't know if people know that, but if you have dense breasts, make sure you get a sonogram because it's harder to read your breasts. So um, I went for my annual mammogram and the radiologist called me in afterwards and said, we need to talk to you. And that's never, ever a good sign. He said, we found calcifications on your left breast. He said, it is probably, this guy probably saved my life. He goes, it's probably nothing, but because of your family history, we want you to get it checked out. I was like, okay. Seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. I found a really great uh, breast surgeon, went and got it checked out. And I ended up having something called DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ. And I make a joke about it in my show. Like the doctors can't agree if it's pre-cancer or cancer. It's just... But at the end of the day, who cares? But at the end of the day, who cares? <laughs> I had to have two lumpectomies in my left breast. So because of that, I was watched like a hawk. So every three months, I was getting another test. But again, I thought, I'm fine. Is, what is a lumpectomy for people who don't know? A lumpectomy know? is when they uh, take um, tissue yeah, from your breast. And then... Uh, the first time they didn't get clear margins, so they had to take more tissue. So that's a lumpectomy. Compared to what I ended up having, it's really nothing. Um, you but know, I'm sure it seemed like plenty at the time. It was huge at the time. It was huge. And just the fact that, you know, you're young and you're getting cancer or mm-hmm. pre-cancer is just very jarring and upsetting to say the least. Um, and so then, nine months later, I ended up getting cancer in my other breast, which is insane. And it came, they found it on an MRI. Do do they think those things were related or is it sort of, do you have any sense of how common or rare that experience is where you, you I don't. I think that it just ended up that I had, when they went into, um, for the double mastectomy, I had so much hyperplasia. I feel like I was like, I don't know. I just had, I just had, I, I don't know. I don't know how common it is. I really don't. Yeah. 
But um, but, but nine I, months in, it became clear that like this was going to be a bigger thing. Bigger thing. And so it was a very strange thing. I remember sitting at the doctor's office and she told me that I had cancer and I knew it. I had such a feeling like when I was waiting back for the results of the MRI, my friends were like, you're fine. You're fine. And I was like, mm, I don't some, think so. Something feels wrong. I was like, something feels wrong. And I had said that later to my doctor who I love, Dr. Uh, Karen Hiotis at NYU. She's like my angel. And she said, the person with cancer usually knows huh they said they usually have this sense they 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 usually know and um as soon as she told me I didn't even take a breath I just said I want a double mastectomy which was a very strange thing for me to say because I loved my breasts (laughs) I was a woman who loved her breasts I was a woman who my boobs walked in the room before I did I was known as like the petite Jewish girl with the nice tits I really I liked my I liked my breasts Mm mm-hmm what do you think uh, led you to that place of so fast being like, I'm like, let's just do it? Well, I don't want to sound like a kook, <laughs> but I will. I feel like, you know, as I said before, my mom died of cancer. Mm-hmm. I feel, oh, do people cry in this episode? Uh, I <laughs> if fe- you'd like to. I feel like my mother watched me from whatever you believe in. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like I got this answer. She gave me so many answers. Mm-hmm. And it just really, it just came to me. It, it just literally came flying out of my mouth, literally. <laughs> and then I was like, and my best girlfriend, who will never forgive me for this, was with me at the time. And she started weeping when the doctor said I had cancer. And I go, shush, be quiet. We have, we have things to get accomplished. No crying. And she was like... Years later, she's like, you know, I'm still traumatized by that. I'm like, sorry, had a lot to get done. Yeah. So um, so just because I had gone through that only nine months before, because it was in the other breast, because I didn't want to keep getting poked and prodded, mm-hmm. and I just knew. So then the next thing was I had to get a great plastic surgeon because I was determined to still have really great breasts. I was yeah. determined. Well, and that it's so so it's so interesting for me to hear women talk about their experiences with breast cancer and with their breasts because um, for whatever reason that's never been a big part of my physical identity. I know I don't know if it's just my body type or where I grew up in the world or you know the Where'd family grow I grew up. I grew up in Minnesota. Um, breasts are not. I guess they're not a big thing. Well, <laughs> bodies are not. We're wrapped in parkas. <laughs> All year round. New York breasts. Sorry. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> who knows? I mean, That's I assume hilarious. if I grew up in Miami, maybe I'd like relate to it more. Um, but I know for so many women that um, one of the reasons that breast cancer sort of looms so large is what you said about um, the about breasts being a big part of your physical identity. Huge. It's a huge. It, it's. I mean, and this is one of the reasons why I still do my show because I. One of the missions of my show is I really want to give women hope to know that even after a double mastectomy, they are still beautiful. They're just as beautiful. They're vibrant. They're sexy. Because it really, I'm not going to use that word, but it can really, yeah, big time. Big time. Whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, what your husband's point of view, if you go out dating, I mean, it is just... It's a very personal thing. Breasts mm-hmm. are a big deal. And women's relationships with their breasts, as I'm touching my breasts on the podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> Listener, you can't see this, but Amy <laughs> is now feeling herself up. <laughs> um, but breasts are, b- breasts are a very, very big deal. 
Um, so you said you had to find a good plastic surgeon. Does that all sort of happen at the same time? Yes. Like, so how so does that progress? This is what happens. So when I made the announcement, when the words flew out of my mouth <laughs> that I was going to have a double mastectomy, uh, they work in tandem. It's this crazy thing. So the surgeon and the plastic surgeon work together on you. Like one does their job. And so my... Uh, Dr. Hiotis has surgeons she likes to work with, which makes sense. It's sure. a team. So I went and met this man, Dr. Nolan Karp, from, also from NYU, and I call him my Michelangelo. I, I, like, I call him Dr. McDreamy. <laughs> I love Dr. Nolan Karp. And um, as soon as I met him, I knew too. It was just a very, like, I was always someone who's very in tune with their instincts. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I, it just felt, I just knew it was right. Mm -hmm. I just knew it. And then um, three weeks later. Wow. It was very fast. And there was a lot to do. That's why I said to my girlfriend, there's a lot to get done. Like, for me, it was like the tears part came the night before. Mm. The freak out came the night before. Mm -hmm. But before that, I, you know, I had to... Uh, take a leave. Of, I'm an acting teacher. I had to take a leave of absence from my job, and my school was. Oh, it's amazing how you cry all these years later. <laughs> think about it. They were incredible. I teach at New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. They were amazing. My students were amazing, and years later, I'm so bonded to them because they walked through that experience with me. Because I went back three months later, and then left again for my next surgery. It's a lot of surgeries. <laughs> Because I had, there's different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. So you could have, um, I had to have something called expanders because I was too thin to make my breasts from either my butt or my stomach. I have another uh, joke on my show that I say it's the first time in my life I was upset that I was too thin. Because, <laughs> because they have a uh, uh, depth flap, deep flap, I never know if I pronounce it right, where they make your breasts out of your own skin. Oh. So I had to get implants. So the thing with implants is you have to wear something called tissue expanders, and I describe that as wearing a tube top. Maybe in Minnesota they didn't wear a tube top. But I still was a child of the 90s okay. and early 2000s. I'm aware of so tube tops. So you wear a tube top, and I, I say it's like wearing a tube top that's so tight you can't take it off for three months and you can't breathe. So you get these tissue expanders. So you can see me. There's a yeah. needle. How big is that? Big. <laughs> a really big needle. And they put it in uh, at the top. You have a port so they can stretch your skin. So it's really wild because it's the first time in your life, you except when you're a little kid and your, your, your breasts are growing, that you have a different size boob every week. Yeah. Until they stretch your skin enough to be able to put in the, uh, your implants. Wow. And so does that happen... Uh, so you said multiple surgeries. Double, I got a double mastectomy. My um, surgeon knew how important my breasts were to me, so he filled me up a little. Mm -hmm. So I had like, a, as he, I had little baby boobies, as I like <laughs> to say. So I didn't wake up like whoa, like mm -hmm. nothing. Of course, I was bandaged and I had drains. Right, you had other stuff going so on. Disgusting, and I was so stoned from morphine and I got sick from all the drugs. I mean, it's it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. I forgot your question because I was so back on it's a mess. No, that's okay. So so there so there was oh, the double mastectomy. Double mastectomy. Then a month later, I started getting expanded. And it's a, di it's a different time for each woman depending on how much you want to get expanded. Mm -hmm. So I had pretty ample sized breasts and I still wanted to have that. Mm -hmm. He still went a size smaller than mm -hmm. what my normal breasts were. He goes, because you're he goes, your breasts were too big. You're little. I was like, okay. But I still, 
Like, was it uh, weird negotiating I, that with another person? No, because that, because that, no, it was fine because I had such a good rapport with him. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm, he's like, okay, I'm not making you any bigger than that. I'm like, okay. But it's a weird thing to decide the right. size of your breast. So then I got expanded for three months and then um, I had my implants. And then it doesn't end. And then months after that, you get nipples because I had to get rid of my nipples. Now they do nipple scarring surgery if possible. That, and we'll talk about that, but that was the hardest part for me and still is. So then you get nipples and then you get tattoos. Your areolas get tattooed. It's really... It's wild. It's wild. And it's, it's also so interesting because um, uh, things having to do with changing your breasts in any way, I think are really um, like, uh, there's a lot of feelings around that culturally about like getting, um, uh, you know, breast surgery like just not for cancer reasons getting tattoos um all those things are sort of considered in one way or another like counter-cultural except in the case of breast cancer in which case all of a sudden it could be you know it could be someone who's like a rock and roller from the greenwich village or it could be a you know mom of three in iowa who's having the same like you know yeah uh basic like you know having getting implants and tattoos all of a sudden it's this place where all these things come together in this totally new new way and it's it's uh every woman handles it differently Mm -hmm. completely differently depending on who they are so when people talk to me it's it's like some people choose not to reconstruct I my hat goes off to those people. It's really whatever you need to do. There's not one right or wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's whatever you make makes you feel your most beautiful best self. Yeah. Which yeah. is I think, you know, in any time you're having a major medical thing happen, feeling finding a way to feel like yourself and finding a way to feel beautiful or powerful is so hard. Yes. Um, and it's so important. Yeah. It's so important. So that's, you know, that's a big part of my show. A big part of my show, I say, is to start in the really important conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think of it as like a teaser. And a lot of times, not this go-round because it's a celebrity reading, but usually when I do my show, I do a talk back. And I have, a lot of times, Dr. Yehotis has been there, Dr. Karp has been there. And it's a lot of questions because people really have a lot of questions about this. Mm-hmm. It's a huge topic and there's so much attached to it. So I like to do that as well. And so many people have uh, some sort of breast cancer experience, whether it's themselves or someone in their family. I think, uh, you know, almost nobody... Uh, hasn't had someone that they know go through this experience. But how much they know about that experience can really vary because um, people deal with it in different ways. Not everyone's doing a, a, show, a show about, about it. Exactly. Because <laughs> not everyone is as comfortable about it. But because of my show, I've been at parties. <laughs> it's like funny. And like a man will walk up to me and be like, oh, and he'd be like, can I answer your question? I'm like, sure. He's like, I'm dating a woman who doesn't have nipples. How do I handle it? Like, it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. you know? Because I also think on the other end, some people don't know what to do or what to say or how to handle it. Sure. So that's why I do love to have the conversation yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, because the time was so short between when you uh, made the decision to get the double mastectomy and when it happened... You said, like, the crying happened the night before. <laughs> the nervous breakdown over a turkey sandwich, actually. 
<laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. It was over, like, I'm afraid of anesthesia, and that was, like, the really scary mm. part. And I, I was like, I'm keeping everything in control, and, and I'm going to be really good, and I've got this. And then, you'll, I think that's, like, the most relatable moment, the scenes in my play, that the night before, I ordered the sandwich that I always order, like, before every lumpectomy I got, before every biopsy, I always had the same exact turkey sandwich. Good luck with sandwich. The, it was my I'm going to live sandwich. Yes. Right? Good luck. I'm mm-hmm. going to live sandwich. And this time, the diner, same diner as always ordered from, got it wrong. And they sent me this, like, chicken sandwich with this weird sauce. I tr- truly had a meltdown. That I think my boyfriend at the time, I, I still think we ended up breaking up because he could never get that image out of his head. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing it, Cole. I mean, I was like, Cole, cancel. I mean, I fell apart from a turkey sandwich. It's, I mean... So that's how that's that's, <laughs> that's how. the reality of how it actually happens. Yeah, I think you know it sounds like from how you describe it that like that you did have in some ways a lot of control in like a situation in which you in some ways had no control. Correct. You did everything right and still got cancer. You um, you know quickly it, you it seems like you didn't stress a lot about the decision to get the double mastectomy no. and yet still in that moment before. <laughs> Yeah, because it was the first time, and it's interesting when you put it that way, that I didn't, like, I thought I was in control, I thought I was in control, all the pieces were together, Mm -hmm. and then the sandwich, just (laughs) like, whoa, and it made me go, my life Mm -hmm. is falling apart. Yeah. And the, and the, there, you know, there is no uh, time off for good behavior, no, <laughs> you know, when it not. comes to these things that happen, there's like, not. it just happens, and then you, you know... So I'm curious, because the time was so short ahead of time, um, what was your emotional recovery like after? Yeah. It's funny. I'm, I'm taking a moment to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so much physically, because I had a very hard time with the anesthesia, mm. and I got very, very sick. A lot of times, it's horrible that hospitals, like, you're in and out very fast. Yeah. But I was in long because of the anesthesia. So I was in for over five days. Wow. Which was good because mm-hmm. I was watched, I was taken care of. And I think I was so stoned from the morphine, from the drugs, that it was like, what? You know, that I, I wasn't I wasn't emotional because I was stoned. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, I have drains. Oh, you have blood. Okay, well, let's just do, you know, it just, you were like, let's just do this. And then... I went to my stepmom and dad's for a little, for like a week, and then I went to my sister's to heal. And here's the thing. I lived with my sister and her husband and my beautiful niece at the time. She was nine. And it was like the most beautiful experience because they took such good care of me because I couldn't leave alone. I lived yeah. alone and I could, there was no way I could take care of myself. That I guess, I think it's my personality to find the good. Sure. It, and, and that's just part of who I am. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's, that is, I hate to say it, it is or is not part of your makeup. Mm-hmm. So I had meals with them all the time. And, and I was with family. And, and, and it was like, it made my sister closer than we've ever been. So there was tremendous beauty. And people, like the outpouring of love. Like, I was deeply loved. It's amazing what other people could, you know, just showing of that love did for me. Um... So I think that a lot of it happened later Mm. for me. Like I would say I still had to go through all the healing and all the treatments and, you know, the discomfort. Um, 
One of the painful, painful, painful days I remember is the day I took off my bandages and looked at my implants. Mm. Another nervous breakdown day. How long was that after you? It was gotten in them? February. No, that was right. Like I had gotten them. You can't. Look. Oh, okay. I you see. can't look for like because my surgery was October thirteenth. You can't look at them uh, for a while because you're swollen. And it was the day that I was late, able to look at them, and they looked like these aliens. See, my expanders, I never had a problem with that because I knew they were coming off. Right. I hated them. I hated them. And my sister came up to the bathroom. I was, like, screaming. So it comes in waves. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, like... And still, to this day, I have moments. Like, healing is a strange thing. Emotional things are... It hits you when... Like, even as I'm sitting here now, years later, I still start... You mm -hmm. just never know. When I start, when I enter a new relationship, it's always something comes up for me because how do you, when do you tell the person mm -hmm. in dating? It's a big deal. Sure. Do you want to first date go, oh, pass the ketchup, by the way. Like what would, right. When by the way, I'm a cancer survivor. By, <laughs> by the way, my boobs are implants. By right. the way, my, I mean, it's, there's just so much involved. So it's, you know, it's a mourning process. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no, I think there's so many stages of grief, but I think stages of grief really never end. I think they always just flow in and out. And mm -hmm. continue, yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. I was just thinking too about the, the question of sort of when do you talk about it in a new relationship is so interesting because um, the question of like whose business is it um, is so interesting because I can totally see someone saying like, well, you know, you don't have to say anything because it's none of their business. And if they have a problem with it when they figure it out, then, like, it's their problem. Except that um, I imagine that how someone reacts to you in, you know, in those moments that talking about it ahead of time is part of a, w a way to try to, like, prepare for that or control for it or just... And obviously, you've chosen a path in general of sharing well, a lot Google, about like, your experience. If you Google me, you know. And these mm -hmm. days of dating, once you know someone's last name, you're Googled. Like, right. it's it. Party's over because it's everywhere. <laughs> you know, so if you Google and you can read, it's, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's also, as my plastic surgeon said, it's a great test to see who's worth it to stay around. Mm. Because the people that don't want to be with me because of it, I don't want to be with them. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is, you know. And I, like my plastic surgeon did a great job. And mm -hmm. I ended up with really, so I don't, you know, in dating, I don't get, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. But I do things like, because, oh, hello, here we go, very intimate. And I'm touching my breasts again. <laughs> um, my nipples are super tiny mm -hmm. from the surgery because of my skin. And some people go to this guy, uh, Vinnie Myers. Uh, in um, I forgot where he is in Baltimore because mm. he he gives you 3D nipple tattoos. It's a Whoa. tattoo that's 3D, and I've thought <laughs> a lot about getting it. I haven't done it yet. So now what I do is I buy these. Um, I think they're from Tatify, but I buy these nipple tattoos, uh -huh. and I put. I'm feeling myself still. And I put the nipples on, and then you can see I'm, like, totally decorated. I oh, cool. Oh, they're, own... like, artistic. Well, well, the nipples, I'm literally showing from my breast. <laughs> but the nipples you put on your nipple. Uh -huh. But then I insist, these are fading because my date was, like, over a week ago. Um, <laughs> and then I always tattoo my breasts before I'm intimate with the guy I'm dating. Yeah. Because it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. See, it's all about, it's really about me. Yeah. feeling better and if I feel comfortable and if I feel beautiful that will transfer over but if I'm uncomfortable 
they're going to be uncomfortable. It's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. But so I'm not ready to commit to a tattoo, a big tattoo, because I like changing them up. I change mm -hmm. them up all the time. They really last. They really stay. These have been on for like two and a half weeks. They're, for people who can't see, they're like colorful. They're like floral. Yeah, they're I'm really so pretty. interested. Did you have any tattoos before? I have one little tattoo on my ankle. So it wasn't like totally foreign. No, but these are literally like anyone. These are like you do it yourself. That's like you great. You put them on and then you take it off. So I've always had a problem with commitment. So this is better for me because I don't have to. <laughs> commit to these you you know because maybe I'll want to change so I do all different ones I'm always online looking for new tattoos for my <laughs> breasts um are they when you're looking for stuff online is it um do people know that they're selling to women who are cancer I survivors I don't know that isn't that interesting yeah I'm gonna guess no mm -hmm. but I should write them a letter yeah and say your tattoos really help me that's so interesting uh I have seen some articles over the year uh, over the years about um uh like tattooed nipples mm -hmm. with the goal of them looking like quote unquote natural 3D um, nipples yeah or, or or like I have thought about getting another surgery where and I will do it where I get uh, because I like the idea that you can actually feel the nipple mm -hmm. like if I'm intimate that someone can uh, like mm -hmm. I won't be able to feel it but <laughs> the guy because you lose sensation mm -hmm. you lose sensation in your breast but um, I thought about that but I had so many surgeries how many was it altogether? In a year and a half, oh, I want to say like 10, because I had wow. biopsies, two lumpectomies, nipples, but I had a lot. So so the thought of like, I'm like, you know what, let's just do like a tattoo. Right. Now because I just don't want to be yeah. poked. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. It's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. And it's a lot of people who, even if you like your doctors, it's still a lot of people being involved with your body in a way that is not that fun. <laughs> yeah, and you got to go under, and you got to go to the mm -hmm. hospital. I mean, it's just, you know, all that is just... Um, and that's hard on your body. Like, for me, anesthesia, I find, is very hard on your body. Mm -hmm. I'm very in touch with my body, and it wipes you out. Yeah. It just really, it's it wipes you out for a while. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you uh, said that you were, like, uh, you know... Vegetarian, really into exercise, all of those things. Yogi, all yeah. of it. All of it. Um, how how did that um, did that change after you went through? No, no, because what I did is I, as soon as I could, I went to um, yoga for breast cancer survivors mm. right away. I got uh, physical therapy right away because I was like, I am not losing my body, I am not losing my strength, and it took a long time me to get my strength back because I don't know what people you, after you get a double mastectomy you can't use your arms or lift your arms that's why I couldn't live alone so you literally can't you can't raise your arms over your head you, you can't lift you lose you, you're, everything's getting pulled it's your chest wall yeah. so it takes a long time and I was really determined I was like I am going to be as strong because I had, you know, a lot of people put me in touch with, you know, women before because the community is amazing. People mm -hmm. always like, call this person. I can't tell you how many Starbucks bathrooms I went to. People are like, oh, look at my boobs. Like, it's <laughs> like, like, okay, all over New York. I'm like, you know, women are taking their tops off in Starbucks bathrooms to look at each other's breasts. <laughs> if Starbucks only knew. But um, I had spoken to this one woman. And she's like, yeah, I used to have a really great body. And after cancer, I just got fat. And I, and I was like... I'm grateful for speaking to her because I was like, I'm never going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to let cancer win. 
Never. And, you know, for her, that may have been a different experience, which was that, you know, maybe it was a really stressful and not uh, life-affirming experience to try to keep a certain kind of look beforehand. And maybe for her, that was a release. But it sounds like hearing it for you, um, it was really important to your identity. It was. Mm -hmm. And I'm a performer. So Mm -hmm. it's also, you know, unfortunately, as you know. There are expectations. There are expectations. Now, mind you, I did not, I turned down tamoxifen. I said no to tamoxifen. That's me. What is that? It's like, it's it's like a pill that, that, that women take, um, it's like a chemo drug to okay. keep your cancer away. I, I said no because there's a small chance that you can get uh, uh, uterine cancer. Mm. And I just knew. Again, me and my instincts, I was like, it's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. But I would never tell someone not to take it. Right. Talk that, to that your own just, doctor. Yeah. That, that's, that's just me. And I did not need chemo or mm. radiation. So that changes a lot too because a lot of people their bodies change when they have chemo. Sure. And I was blessed with that. So this is going to sound crazy, but a lot of times I felt guilty. Mm. I was like, well, was I really a cancer survivor because I didn't have... Like, like it wasn't enough. It wasn't <laughs> enough. I'm so Jewish. It wasn't enough that I lose my breasts. Right. But I don't think I quite suffered enough because I didn't have chemo and radiation. I've spoken to a couple of other women in the same position and they felt the same way. Mm-hmm. You're like... Ooh, am I really a cancer survivor? Like I went to a, uh, one support group that was a nightmare for me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm the only woman in this room that didn't have chemo, that didn't have, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, that's always so tricky, this sort of like Olympics of suffering that like... Um, Bingo, that's a great way, that's a great way to put <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, that we um, feel like unless we have the absolute worst experience, we aren't entitled to our feelings. Isn't that crazy? But, you know, me sitting here, it's like, to hear that, it's like, of course you, you know, qualify as a... I qualify. Yeah, you qualify. Thank you. Thank you I would much. say, um, you know, anyone listening, I think, would say, oh, for sure. But I also, I think in so many areas, we um, we feel like we don't have a right to um, those things unless we've, um, if someone has ever had it worse. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Yeah. So if the, if the support group kind of thing didn't was a nightmare. Was where a nightmare. where did you find um, connection with the breast cancer community or with support and all of those things? I didn't really find connection with the breast cancer community. Well, that's something I was going to ask because I um, hesitated to say that. No, I think it's important because not the, the the like quote unquote breast cancer community in the U.S. is a big thing. I think in some ways it can feel kind of like a monolith. Like it's one. Um, one way of handling cancer, one way of thinking about breast cancer. It's very pink. It's very feminized, um, which if that is something that you relate to, and I think, you know, obviously for a lot of women it is, that's awesome. I can imagine that if it's not something that you connect with, it can feel really isolating. I'm not, like I realized from this, I'm not a great group person, Mm -hmm. like in, in like a support group. I'm just not great at that. It's not my thing. I don't want to say I'm not great at it. It's it's not my thing. I have a, I'm blessed with a tremendous community of friends. Uh, I had really great doctors. And I would say one of my favorite quotes is Carrie Fisher. She said, take your broken heart and make it into art. And that's how I healed, by writing my show. I healed through my art. Had you ever written a show before? No. How long after um, all of this was happening did you start working on uh, I would say, I remember driving home. My sister was driving me back from one of my expansions and I looked at her I said I'm writing a play about this I'm going to turn this into art she goes yes 
She goes, and I'm going to help. I'm going to help you produce. I'm, she didn't help me produce it, but she was so good. <laughs> you know, but she's always there and supports it tremendously. Yeah, because for me, and Peter Michael Marino, you know Peter, who is, um, he's unbelievable. He's been with me through this entire process. So first it was sort of like in book form, and then he helped me like turn it into a play. And that writing is incredibly healing and if you go to like uh, cancer support communities writing is is a lot of times they have writing workshops mm. so there's something incredibly healing about art so what turned out to be healing for me it then turned around and my show is healing for others I can't tell you how many friends I've made from doing my show people in the cancer community and I have become part of the cancer community from look I get chills in my arm from a different way like I've done um I did a benefit for Avon, and I'm, uh, I did work with Hadassah and uh, Breast Cancer Resources of Princeton. So I do now, mm-hmm. but I had to find my way. Sure. And I realized it's really strange to say I'm an incredibly private person. So it's amazing I walk around <laughs> like, you know, yes, I do this. But I'm really not that person if someone's like, like I'm during cancer and people are like, oh, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine. How are you? And then they go, I would never say. So many people had no idea. And then they go, well, and they'd start complaining. And I'm right. like, oh, my God. I had trouble parking. Yeah, yeah and- <laughs> exactly. I'm like, get me out of here now. And until I did my show, I would say 75 to 80% of the community of people I knew had no idea. Mm. I'm that private. What was it like to have that change when you started the show? Really freeing and really great. Mm -hmm. Really great. And people were so supportive of me. And it's sort of like I felt like I was, you know, coming out of the closet. Mm Because it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. And I think, too, like, there can be a feeling of, like, oh, if people know this about me, what else are they going to assume about me or my experience? Um, and something about the fact that you did it as a show where it's not just saying like, Hey everyone, PS, I just went through this, but it's like here over the course of how long is your show? An hour, an hour, an hour over the course of an hour. I'm going to tell you more about this. Um, you sort of get to, in some ways, um, give people more context, yeah. uh, what, as, as you're coming out, not just. I had cancer, but also here's all this other surrounding stuff about who I am and how I experienced it and, you know, what I would tell other people. And And there's a whole, I mean, for me, it's also really different because, like I said, at 16, I lost my mother to cancer. So it's all very different for me Mm -hmm. because I lost a parent at a young age from the same disease. I got the same disease my mother had. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's like, whoa. That's like I... I have to do everything in my power to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about your health? You know, in an ongoing way. Do you does it feel um, fragile? Does it feel solid? No, it feels really solid. I feel really, really healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm nine years. Wow, that's Cancer. great. I know. I say it again. Nine years. Yeah. So I feel great. I mean, the, the, the tricky part with cancer is, is that they, I don't get PET scans. I don't get, like, tests like that. So they, they go, well, if you're just sort of not feeling well. So you can't, like, be neurotic and go, I have the flu to go cancer. <laughs> right. like, I so sneeze today. Is that I it? I sneeze today. So I really choose. This is me. And, again, everyone's different. I choose not to worry. Mm-hmm. I literally wake up every day and I say thank you mm-hmm. because I know how lucky I am. I've lost friends from cancer, from breast cancer, from different kinds of cancer. I know that I got like a second chance at life and I 
I don't, I personally choose, I choose not to waste my time worrying if it's going to come back, but to focus on today and mm -hmm. just being so happy and grateful that I have a day to contribute and to make a difference and to be here. Yeah. That's so wonderful. So you've been doing the show, did you say three, three years? years? I think three years. Maybe four. I have no concept of time. <laughs> Is it five? I don't know. But I don't do it for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll do it in October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Or I'll tra I travel to Florida to do it. I want to do it more. Mm -hmm. But now we want to see what would happen if we go this route of adding other people in it. Mm -hmm. Because if it could go the vagina monologues route, that'd be right. amazing. If it could be that on college campuses, like if I can get my play published because it's very good monologues for women. Mm -hmm. and Which we need as an actor. Bingo. That's, <laughs> I will say. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Like there's some, they're funny. Oh, did I mention my show is really funny? <laughs> I think people probably will get, yeah, have gotten that idea tips. listening to you talk. But, <laughs> it's but really good to funny. Say. And I'll tell you why it's funny. Because no one on a Saturday night wants to go, oh, hey, you want to go see that depressing cancer show? <laughs> you know, that's right. number one. And number two, I think that if you're talking about really difficult subjects, you gotta, I believe, get people laughing first, get them in, and then you can talk. But I think that laughter makes things that are really uncomfortable, comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer. And I also believe that laughter is healing. I know it. It's healing. Yeah. It's so healing. Absolutely. I certainly agree with you. <laughs> right? It's so healing. Well, you're a comedian. Of course you're, you know, it's healing for me. It's healing for other people. And it's a great way to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into the, the advice portion. Oh, so advice. what would you tell someone who um, had just gotten a diagnosis similar to yours? Actually, I wouldn't tell them anything. Really? I would ask them what they needed from me. I would actually say to the words to them, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. I'm here. Because a lot of people, like at my... Um, at NYU, they have people call me a lot, mm. and I and I say what whatever question you need, whatever you want to know, I'm here because everybody's different, and everybody has different fears. Mm -hmm. So I was a single woman, so that you know, someone who has children, very very different. Mm -hmm. They have children. They're a mother. Their 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 focus probably is not how good are my boobs turning out. <laughs> sure, I'm going to be here for my child, mm -hmm. no matter what. You as an almost to be mom would, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, um, I think so, that's good advice for people. My next question was going to say, what would you tell their family and friends? And I think um, starting from a place of listening is a great piece of advice. Listening is huge, and I this is a big thing. Everybody, I think in our culture. People really don't know how to listen. What they do is they wait till they can respond with their experience. They're like, oh, my aunt. Oh, I can, I can tell you what not to do. Right. Please don't tell me about, don't tell anyone about someone, you, oh, my aunt died. Or they, Don't talk about people that died. <laughs> don't talk about, like, bad things. And don't make it about you. Make it about them. Mm -hmm. It's about them. And then when people are going through it, make them a meal. Don't, sometimes then, don't even ask. Just say, listen, I'm dropping off a lasagna at your house. Or I'm dropping off, whatever, I can't, I don't mm -hmm. know why I thought of lasagna. But whatever it is, because it's comfort food. Yeah. That's why I thought of it. Because when someone's healing, they're not going to be able to tell you what they need. Mm -hmm. But they, you can say, how about I, I pick your kids up from school today? Or, but everybody needs something different. But don't 
talk about all the bad things that happened, all the people you know that died. Or don't start like getting emotional. Let them, you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm so, it's like, please. Because then you feel, that's what happened to me with my mom. And that's why I stopped talking about it. Because I always had to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, and, and I think it's natural if someone in your life Come, you know, comes to you and says, I got a cancer diagnosis. It's natural for you to have feelings about that, but those feelings are not for the person with cancer to help Correct. you deal with. Correct. Those are for another support, 100%. supportive friend or a therapist or any of those 100%. other places. And the other thing that I would say, and I do say to people, when someone gets a diagnosis and if they are married and have a partner, I say, have your partner call me. Mm. And I'll tell you why that's really important. It's very, very hard for the partner. Mm-hmm. It's very, very hard for the family, and it's very hard for the caregiver. Because everyone's going to the person who is diagnosed, and no one's going to the caregiver. Mm. And the caregiver needs as much support as the person going through it. Yeah, that's because so they important. Have to process. They have to process their feelings. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it really is a family disease. Mm. It's, it doesn't just hit one person. It, it hits everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. Um, so even though we just ended on like a very serious note, <laughs> I know your show is funny and it's fun. Um, and, and it's, it's also very touching. It's both. Yeah. It's not just funny. Totally. Um, if people want to find out more about your show, either to come on the 29th or to find you another time, um, where should people look for you uh, on, on the internet or if there's someplace better? Right. And I will say a bunch of things. Because, um, because of the celebrity reading or if people know have uh, contacts and say, I would love to do this for a cancer organization, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I, people can email me. Great. If they want to email me, they can email me at amy at amymarks.com. And that's Marks with a C, M-A-R-C-S. Yes. Right. And my website is nicetitstheshow.com. Important, the show part is in there. And... Uh, tons of information how to reach me tons of information about the show how to get tickets if they want to find me on instagram it's at amy marks or nice tits the show and on facebook it's at nice tits the show great it's marks with a c i'll link to all of that on our show notes um, and we'll be posting um from our social media accounts too so it should be easy to link in can Um, i say one more thing of course if someone just wants to talk and has questions that has nothing to do with my show, but they go, you really like touched my heart and I know someone who needs to email me because that's my point of why I do this. That's my point. Like I really, I really, my show is to be of service to other people. So I'm very easy to contact and talk to. That's great. Uh, well, Amy Marks, thank you so much for being on the thank show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and uh, anyone out there, if you go see Nice Tits, let us know, because uh, I'm sure Amy would like to say hi to you. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> and thank you again. It was great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes, help subscribing, and to join us on Patreon, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. 
Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Just One More Pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Just One More Podcast, or you can email us at info at Just One More Podcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.